All right, folks, go be great. Episode 18 brought to you by the folks at Hardo Sports. Folks, it's a big episode today. Four sports being covered. NBA, uh, NFL, college football, and even the World Series. Yes, I've been tuned in to the Philadelphia Phillies with a 2-1 lead right now over the Houston Astros. Another game will be played tonight on Wednesday, November 2nd. So a happy late Halloween to all of you. Um, I'm personally looking forward to Thanksgiving. November is always a good month just to kind of look forward to Thanksgiving, football on Thanksgiving, as well as college basketball making its return in this month especially with Feast Week, uh, you know, we're going to have the World Cup a little bit later this month. So overall, a pretty great sports month. Uh, if you just, you know, I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving, obviously, but uh, just a lot of stuff going on and the World Series will be finished uh, probably by the time I drop episode 19. So I think it'll be a Phillies win um, tonight. It's Nola versus Javier, two pretty good starters on both sides. But the game is in Philadelphia, and I just don't have any reason to believe that this series goes back to Houston. Uh, the Phillies were able to steal one game in Houston the way that I was hoping that the Yankees could. Uh, and then in game three, the fans showed up with belief that their team could win. May have gotten some uh, pitch tipping from the starter of the Houston Astros, Lance McCullers, but um, the Fightins, man, what a what a performance so far in the World Series. Bryce Harper has been on a tear all playoff long. Um, the pitching has been very good for the Phillies. You know, they had a shutout um, in the third game, which was last night. Uh, they were doing pretty good in the other two games. I know that the bullpen kind of blew game one, and then, you know, they ended up coming back and getting that last run to win 6-5. But uh, overall, this Philadelphia Phillies team in the playoffs has been on a tear. And they have two more games at home here on the next two days. I don't expect that they lose either of these two, especially given the fact that Justin Berlander is still not recorded a victory in the World Series, and he should be slated to start Game 5. So, um we're going to do the NBA. You know, I, I did my little piece there or small piece for whatever it was worth on the MLB. Um, we'll do the Jets and Giants once again. You know, it'll be a running theme, I think, the rest of the NFL season um, as, as I'm a few miles away from the home of the Jets and Giants, MetLife Stadium. Um, and, you know, generally, uh, a big fan base and everybody's following football here in America. So got to cover the two hometown teams for me. Uh, my Jets take a rough loss over the weekend to the Patriots, 22-17. The Giants lose in Seattle, but I don't think uh, that one is as bad as, as the Jets one was. I know that they maybe didn't play their best game to date, but it's always tough to go out to Seattle and take a victory in that stadium. Um, and they played all right. So I wouldn't really read much into that loss. Unfortunately, if you did have to go back there, you know, in the playoffs, once again, it would be even tougher to win there. But uh, I think the Giants fans will kind of get to that point if they get to that point. Um, and then we'll do college football. And then the picks will, will 
round out the episode. Uh, you know, I've been dropping on Tuesdays recently and I elected to wait for the rankings, even though maybe I shouldn't have, um, you know, I'll, I'll briefly do the rankings when we get to that portion of the episode, but either way, there was always going to be a problem with something in the rankings. Um, I have a problem with a few of the rankings based on, you know, resume and the way that these teams have looked in the games. Um, and, and maybe some one team in particular that I don't think belongs in the top four. And that I think regardless of what happens to them this season, shouldn't really even be considered uh, for the college football playoff. But like I said, we'll get to that when we get to it. Um, The biggest story around the sports world, New York, um, you know, just generally anywhere right now, it seems to be Kyrie Irving. Uh, the man can't get himself out of the media for bad reasons. And this time it is because he tweeted a link to a film that I won't say that even the name of it, um, that according to all sources who have seen it or, you know, have, well, yeah, I'm guessing that all of these people who are saying that there are anti-Semitic tropes in said film have seen it. So it's, it's there. It's still available on Amazon Prime. Um, I did kind of look and I just wanted to see if this was an easily accessible film. Unfortunately, it is. It's on Amazon Prime, but you do have to rent it for an additional price. It just doesn't come with, you know, the service like some of the other things uh, do. Um there's a lot of interesting things I think that go into this because of the way that it has been handled by the Nets, Kyrie Irving himself, uh, the outrage, and I think rightfully so by many people in the community. Um, And I think at the end of the day, I'm not going to say that it hasn't, you know, I think Kyrie Irving deserves what he is getting in terms of backlash. I do think the backlash is a little bit extra given that it is Kyrie Irving and his history here in the last couple of years with being in the media for the wrong reasons, Um, you know, namely uh, the COVID stuff, which I think he had a lot more of a basis to stand on um, than what he is trying to say here. Um, So after Saturday's game against the Pacers, The media obviously is asking Kyrie questions about said tweet and not much about his game uh, against the Pacers, which I honestly, I couldn't tell you what is going on with the Nets outside of the fact that Kyrie Irving is in the news for this, that they fired Steve Nash and that they're two and five in terms of like what's going on on the court. I don't really couldn't tell you outside of knowing the fact that Kyrie Irving in their most recent game against the Bulls only had four points and didn't talk to the media afterwards. I don't really know much else uh, going on on the court. I'm just guessing that there's a lot of bad defense um, because they don't have a player besides Ben Simmons who seems interested in doing that. So back to the more important matter at hand. Uh, After Saturday's game against the Pacers, Kyrie is being asked a bunch of questions about the film, why he would promote it, 
on his platform and all that because he tweeted the link without any context. Um, and more or less, and some of these are quotes from Kyrie, some of these are paraphrases. Uh, he says that he has seen the movie, um, that he shouldn't be treated in this year, which is 2022, then he shouldn't be treated any differently than the next man, and he shouldn't be held to a higher standard than just, say, your average Joe. Um, he doesn't apologize for tweeting the film or for being misunderstood in any way. He goes on to defend himself by saying that he didn't promote it. He just put it out there for people to view. And I think the probably the two most problematic things here are one, um, unfortunately, anti-Semitic hate is on a rise in the world and in this country. Um, the Anti-Defamation League, which, funny enough, the Nets brought in to try to help them deal with the situation. Um, the ADL has dealt with the most anti-Semitism cases last year in their history since being founded, I think, in the late 1970s. So unfortunately, this is something uh, that that is on the rise. And people are just kind of, you know, a lot of people have taken Kyrie's side on this, or, you know, some have taken Kyrie's side on this, in addition to Kanye West also making similar comments. Um, you know, they're looking for, for someone to be like, see, I'm validated, I'm right, and now I can put my hate out there and feel validated. I think that's probably the biggest problem is the fact that neither of them realize that whether or not they agree with people who are using their comments as validation for their hate, they're not realizing that it's their fault by doing that. And um, I think that's a pretty big, big problem. Um, you know, I was kind of interested to see, I know that there's a big Jewish population around um, Bergen County, New Jersey, where I live, which is the closest county to New York. Um, but then I went into, you know, looking in the metropolitan areas and the Jewish population in each of them. Um, New York is number one in the world in Jewish population. You're playing for the basketball team in one of its boroughs that probably has more Jewish people in it than the other four boroughs um, in Brooklyn. And uh, it just, it's a really bad look to not even say that you're apologizing for tweeting it without context or anything of the sort and kind of double and triple that tripling down on it. Um, he finished with trying to move on to a next question by, you know, trying to, he was basically fighting with the last reporter by saying, you know, don't human, uh, don't dehumanize me up here by asking me the same question over and over thinking you're getting a different answer. He kept asking for them to move on. They didn't move on, and he ended up leaving the podium. Um, and so he's been having to deal with a lot of people coming for him, whether it be on ESPN, other sports shows. You know, I personally listened to WFAN yesterday um, and, and ESPN Radio in New York, and I think all three shows that I listened to 
uh, which were Tiki and Tierney on the fan, as well as Carn and Roberts, and then Michael K show on ESPN radio. They all kind of were saying the same stuff. You know, it's, it's not a good look for the nets because they haven't done much besides bring in the ADL, which I think is not a good look because you shouldn't have to bring them in to know what to do here. I think, you know, they did put out a PR statements saying that they stand against anti-Semitism, but they didn't name Kyrie Irving's actions as problematic or anything of the sort. They played Kyrie Irving multiple times after this and also have not put him on the podium multiple games after this. So I think it's just a bad look overall. Uh, and then you add on to the fact that they fired Steve Nash and they are set to hire Ime Odoka, the suspended head coach of the Boston Celtics. And the reason he is suspended is for having relations with a woman in the organization. And there are just a lot of question marks surrounding that, that story. And so they haven't made it look good for themselves in any way, shape, or form. Um, at any time that there's being, you know, this much talk about your team and having nothing to do with the performance of said team, you're never in a good spot. Um, I have obviously a problem with what Kyrie Irving said, given the fact that the fan base has a lot of people that are Jewish in it. I have a problem regardless of whether that is it a fact or not um, with him thinking that he's just smarter and above the people that he works with, that he is peers of that he isn't peers of no matter what he thinks that he is morally above everybody else. And I think that makes him kind of despicable. Um, and it's sad because as a player, I really did like him in his younger years in the NBA especially given the fact that I am a LeBron fan and Kyrie Irving was a big part of that championship team. And had he been healthy in his earlier years, maybe they have one other championship in Cleveland um, in those series against the Warriors. So um, it's sad because I like the basketball player and I just don't understand how someone who gets paid that much to, to, entertain people and to to get to play something he loves every day or you know and to say I don't know why I have such a big why everybody cares what I say I should just be treated as a normal person well that's just problematic as well I don't understand how you could think that way um, and like I said I think the way that the nets between the the GM Josiah, and excuse me, the GM Sean Marks and the owner Josiah, the way that they have handled the situation is bad. Um, I, I'm not sure that they wanted to fire Steve Nash. I think Steve Nash is probably one of the only ones with the moral compass there and probably went into the office saying, listen, you either got to get rid of Kyrie or at least take care of this problem or I got to go. And so they gave him the way out. and. He probably should have been fired anyway, you know, before the season started. But I think this is a good thing for Steve Nash. And if he decides to coach again, who knows? He wasn't that good of a coach anyway. But 
at least he won't have to deal with this team and this dumpster fire of of you know multiple problems that they've had since since Kyrie and KD have been there and to mention Kevin Durant I mean for a guy who comes off the hinge at people every time that they say that he's not good at basketball on Twitter you know you have no problem tweeting at these people for saying that you aren't good at basketball the least you could do is come out and say something uh, you know, if you weren't an active guy, like on social media, I think it'd be a different story. But the fact that you are and not saying anything, um, just not a good look. Like I said, I don't know that Kyrie Irving is anti-Semitic at all. Actually, based on what he said, and not that you can believe much of what he says, but I do believe that he didn't tweet that to incite hate or anything of the sort. But the fact that he is not apologizing just for not giving context of it and to to give something that is a problem, a flame in this, in you know, by putting that out, he put a flame under a problem that doesn't need a flame under it. And I just... Would like to see it dealt with by either the NBA or the team, and we'll see by next episode if anything comes of it. One thing I will say for sure is Kyrie Irving is a, a free agent in the offseason. I find it hard to believe that he's coming back to the NBA next year. I, who would sign him? I don't know. Um, and And I think there's legit questions of whether he – wants to play basketball like he he's he quit on the team in the bubble he didn't go he didn't get the vaccine honestly out of his three problems in the last three seasons that's probably the one with the most basis and it and it still doesn't have much i mean a lot of people in the city did their part got the vaccination um a lot of players far and wide in the league did as well. You know, the whole New York City thing be taking a little longer to lift their restrictions than everywhere else was probably a little unfair. Um, but, you know, this is just uh, a bad, bad look for a player that didn't need any more bad looks. And like I said, I just don't know who signs him and tries to take on this much PR. bad like i don't want to i don't know how how else to say that it's a bad look i just don't know how you can take on this much pr negativity and the fact that he might not you know play so uh, my only other nba really point at at this point in the season so far has nothing also to do with really things that have gone on the court because i think to overreact or or try to make declarations about the season after eight games is pretty stupid. And I think that's all that the media wants, you know, likes to do in sports anyway. So I'm not going to do it. I am going to talk quickly about this Clay Thompson and Charles Barkley thing, because Charles Barkley said at the beginning of the season that he didn't think the Warriors would come back to the playoffs because Clay Thompson 
isn't going to be the same player. Neither will Draymond Green. And then, you know, the whole turmoil with Draymond punching Jordan Poole in the face. Um, and, and Clay went on the podium a couple of days ago and said that he was hurt by the comments that Charles made, saying that you have to give him time based on that he had ACL and Achilles injuries in back-to-back seasons. Um, I, they, they then played those comments from Clay Thompson on the TNT show with Charles, Shaq, uh, Kenny Smith, and Ernie Johnson. And they were all getting on Charles for saying that stuff. I, I don't know if I agree with either side here. Like, I think they're both right. Charles Barkley is right. There's no way Clay Thompson gets back to what he was based on what injuries he has and what age he is. But that's not meant as a disrespect in any way. Like, think about how good Clay Thompson was on those teams. That, that is one of the most legitimate one-two punches in NBA history in terms of scoring. Um, it just is. If you have to play that team in their prime, they're going to beat you every time because Clay Thompson was dedicated to playing defense just as much as he could actually, you know, get hot and make, you know, 10 threes on 15 threes. Uh, he would play defense. He would take out somebody's guard or not take them out, but at least make it tough for them to keep playing, keep playing. And uh, I think in terms of like all-time shooting guards, he's up there. I think in terms of shooting guards in, in my generation, like if there's the D-Wade generation, then there's the next generation. And and Clay Thompson's got to be at the top of that that list with with like James Harden. And... Like, I just don't know who else you put above those two. So, uh, like I said, I don't think what Charles said is meant as disrespect. And I think Clay Thompson's underrated um, as an all-time player. And I think Clay's right, too. Like, let's give him time. Maybe we're all wrong. Maybe Clay Thompson in the middle of the season starts to show flashes of what he was. And... I, Charles also said this last night or two nights ago, whenever it was. Like, Clay Thompson could still be really good and not reach what he was. And that's entirely possible. And I think the Warriors would sign up for that. So, um, interesting to see that, like, there was such a big fuss about that. Like, Charles has a job to do. He said Clay Thompson isn't as good as he was. He's probably, you know, he has been right about this so far. And Clay Thompson wants more time to prove it, and he deserves that. Um, so we'll see how the rest of the NBA season turns out. You know, there's a lot of drama surrounding one team and not really being, you know, it's taking away a lot of attention from what's going on on the court. So hopefully they can deal with that and we can return to talking about basketball and sports, um, that would be good. Uh, we'll go over to the gridiron now. I'm going to do the NFL first, and that means we got to start off with the Jets and the Giants. Um, I'll do Giants first because, honestly, guys, I didn't see as much of the game against Seattle, unfortunately. Um, you know, it was a back-and-forth game. I know that 
the Giants were aided by the Adoree Jackson fumble recovery on the three-yard line. But at the end of the game, like you're down seven points to the Seattle Seahawks on the road. So it's a good team in a tough place to win. You're getting the ball down seven with five minutes left. Unfortunately, the punt returner, Richie James, fumbles the ball. That's the end of the game because the Seahawks end up scoring a touchdown. Um, well, like it, you probably would have marked that game as a loss when the season started. I know that the Seahawks seemingly weren't going to be that great this year, but it's still a tough place to play and win. Like no matter what, if you could put the 32nd best team in the NFL as the home team in that stadium, they have a chance to win every game. Um, and then you add in the fact that they're, you know, they have two great wide receivers in Lockett and, and DK. Uh, like if you told Giants fans, hey, you're going to be six and two going into the bye. I know every last one of you is signing on that line. So I don't buy much into that loss against the Seattle Seahawks. I think Seattle's a great team this year. They're five and three. They're atop the NFC West, which is a tough division. Um, and the Giants are a game and a half back of the Eagles at six and two. Um, and there's no reason to believe that in this next couple of games where they play, you know, Houston, Detroit, uh, I, there's no reason to believe that you don't win a couple of those games and that you can end up in the playoffs this year. Um, in terms of stuff going on off the field with the Giants, they traded Kadarius Toney to Kansas City. Um, they were on, you know, they talked to Joe Shane, I think, on uh, either on one of the shows or they were playing his clips on Michael K. show, I think. Uh, where he was telling the media, like, listen, we were in on a lot of calls. We ended up not finding the right price for guys, and we didn't make a move. I like that. I think to overpay for for someone that even if you did need them is just – it's not ever a good look, and it's not – it's tough to make it worth it. Like, the only way that it's worth it to overpay for just, say, a wide receiver – is if you go out and start winning playoff games, which is still going to be tough for the Giants no matter what. Um, so I just don't think it was worth it. I know that they did need a wide receiver and they didn't make a move, but it sets up for a pretty interesting scenario with Odell Beckham being about uh, nine months into his ACL recovery. And you have to figure like that this guy will be ready to play next month maybe by January 1st, either way, a great added gun to have, as you saw last year with the Rams um, and the giants would really need a player of that caliber to try to win some playoff games. It would be a very interesting reunion, but I think based on the fact that a different regime traded him away, that all of the fans will be happy to see him back, that he would be willing to come back. Um, and that would be a good fit for both sides. So um, sorry, Giants fans. Like I said, I didn't see as much of the game. And so I can't comment on it like as much as I'd want to, but I wouldn't buy in much. You're six and two. You're going into the buy in about as good a spot as you could be. you like outside of the fact that the Eagles are seven and oh, this is, you know, the number one start you could have asked for 
when the season began. So um, they stayed in the game. They're going to keep staying in games all year, and I expect them to win a couple more and be in the playoffs right now. I think they are slotted in at that uh, sixth spot or fifth spot. I don't. I think they don't have the tiebreaker with the Cowboys right now because the Cowboys beat the Giants. So they are the sixth seed. Not sure who they'd play, but they're in the playoffs. And so hopefully they can keep that going. Uh, the Jets, it was about a, as big a game, I think, as we've had since I've been a fan of the team outside of maybe week 17 Buffalo. Um, and I was a fan after, you know, I don't really remember much of like the, this week in and week out of the seasons in 2010 and 11. Like I was, I was 10 and 11 years old. So, um, you know, since I've really been locked in with like the NFL and the jets, um, this is, a, this is like the second or third biggest game we've ever had. Uh, five and two, you could go at six and two into the game with the Bills and, you know, one upset away from first place. Uh, and you drop a game to what I think all accounts will tell you is an inferior team in the Patriots. I know that they aren't bad by any means, but I think the Jets' talent is proving to be very good in terms of the league right now, which is really good, you know, Joe Douglas has done a great job with turning a roster that didn't have much NFL talent on it at all into a team that could legitimately, if the playoffs were today and they had a game, like they would hold their own in a game. So, um, and they're in, I'd say the top half of the league in talent, maybe the top third, that defense has a lot of young stars on it. Um, and they did a good job in the game, but Zach Wilson throws three picks that are all inexcusable interceptions. Um, the Jets also have a tough roughing the passer call that would have been a pick six called off the board and it ends up in a field goal for the Patriots. So a 10 point swing. And although the team came out energized for the second half, I think Zach Wilson kind of came out and tried to do too much and, and it cost us um, a lot of stuff going on with Zach Wilson outside of the pocket. The whole reason we drafted Zach Wilson, I, you know, based on the reasons we were given was his ability to extend the play. And right now he is doing a good job of getting out of the pocket based on the way it looks on TV, but, He's not turning those opportunities into good plays. Um, I think his turnover-worthy percentage on throws is like 6% right now, which is not good. I think it's one of the highest, if not the highest, in the NFL. Um, with that being said, there was a lot of chatter about Zach Wilson's future and the fact that he is not going to be able to fix his problems and that he's not a good QB. I, I do think that these issues can be fixed. However, in the history of the modern quarterback, there's only one story 
where things got better in a very dra- uh, dramatic way, and it's Josh Allen. Um, and, and that's not to say Zach can't get better and fix these problems, because I think he can. Like, he came back from injury last year, and he had a turnover-worthy percentage of 2.8%. So maybe it's something that the coaches have to drive home with this kid about, like, staying in the pocket, trying to get through the reads, and if you get out of the pocket, to not be afraid to fire that thing to a fan. Like, there's too many times where he gets out of the pocket, and it's like, all right, cool. Avoided a sack. Tried to extend the play. Now there's a defender coming, and he's, like, spinning around, you know, throwing off the back foot and not really looking to see if he's going to get it to the sideline or not, like that's the shit that is inexcusable. Like you can't be an NFL quarterback with that. Um, And, and so I think right now for people to be upset with the fact that Zach Wilson is like the number one culprit for losing a football game. I think that's fair to say that the kid's never going to have a good career is unfair because there is still time for him to fix it. Like, on the throws where he has gotten to his back foot and made a decisive play and fired it in there, all those throws are strikes. All those throws are on the money. He's doing really good on that. The problem is when he gets blitzed, I don't want to say he's afraid to get hit, but for a kid that's been injured now, you know, two times in his NFL career, maybe he is. And I think they just need to kind of settle him down. He kind of was looking upset after the game and a little pissed off. And I guess rightfully so, like he had a bad game and probably doesn't want to be talking to the media, but dude, that's your job. Um, And just got to understand that boring football wins games. Like your record is four and one right now as a starter in, in this season. And You haven't played a good game yet. You haven't. It's simple. You have had good games in terms of not making mistakes for a three-game stretch of Green Bay, Denver, and Miami. But in the games against Pittsburgh, you got us into a lot of trouble, but you did also get us out of it and win the game. And then single-handedly lost us the game against New England. Now, it's New England. We have an awful losing streak against them. And Bill Belichick frequently makes uh, young quarterbacks look bad. So, who knows? Maybe he comes out this week and looks a lot better against Buffalo, but I don't think so. I think there's a couple of defenses here in the middle of the season for the Jets that could give this kid a lot of problems. And I think he really needs to drive home or it needs to be driven home to him um, about not needlessly running out of the pocket. And if he does end up out of the pocket to just not be afraid to throw it out of bounds and live for another down Um, because they could have won that game. And like I said, you go into Buffalo, you go into the Buffalo week six and two and You can afford to lose this game and like have another slip up in the rest of the year. Now it's like, all right, like there, even though we are in a playoff spot right now, there's still half of the season to go. 
a lot of things could happen and every game is important. And given the fact that I don't think we could beat Buffalo and we have to play them twice more, like the opportunities are running out uh, to, to try to do what was unthinkable when the season started and make the playoffs. So um, a win there could have been huge. Like I said, if then you lose to Buffalo this week and you're six and three going into the bye, uh, that would have been pretty huge. But now, you know, likely going to lose against Buffalo this week. I know that the defense will fight hard, and I think it'll be fun to see Stefan Diggs go against Sauce Gardner in this game. I hope that we follow Sauce around the field with, um, with Diggs the whole way. Um, but either way, DJ Reed will be fine too. I'm excited to see them both play against this team. I'm excited to see what the defensive line can do. And I'm excited to, you know, I, I, I don't want Zach to be bad. Like I had the take when he was drafted that I thought he was either four or five out of the five QBs um, that were projected in the first round. And right now, you know, the, the fun thing to do this week was to redraft those quarterbacks. I think it's, I think every week you're going to pick a new guy. Like week one through three, you would have had Trevor Lawrence. Uh, last year, you would have had Mac Jones. I don't think you ever would have had Zach Wilson. Like he, like I said, he's one, but he hasn't looked great. But in the last two weeks or three weeks, you would have ha- probably had Justin Fields based on the way the other guys looked. So it's a draft or redraft uh, guys that are, are, not even halfway through their second season is a little irresponsible. I think we'll know a lot more, you know, two, three years down the road. And it's tough to really even know for sure what the ranking is. If you try to do it right now, because Justin Fields hasn't played with a good wide receiver yet. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is in Jacksonville and his first season the head coach after a Thursday night game was caught in a bar um, trying to flirt with women and hook up with women half of his age. Uh, And so he's, he's had a bad head coach and he's in a generally losing franchise. So it's tough to evaluate what's going on there. Zach Wilson has only played 17 or 18 games. Half of it with not really an NFL wide receiving core so it's tough to say because he's looked good in some games and some games he's looked bad so it's tough to say what what he really is um justin fields like he hasn't looked good but he hasn't had a lot and now that he has looked good people think he's good um mac jones last year people thought he was the greatest rookie quarterback that they've had in you know since andrew luck and uh, this year he got benched for Bailey Zappi, or he was hurt, and Bailey Zappi got some time, and people wanted to jump ship. Um, and then you have Davis Mills, who wasn't in there, and he's started this entire time, and no one's really talking about him because the Texans stink, but Davis Mills is a starting quarterback in the NFL. So then you have the Trey Lance stuff, and he hasn't played much, so like it's it's irresponsible to do it. There's no reason to believe Zach can't figure it out based on the history. It doesn't look likely, 
but you never know. And I'm hoping based on the fact that he was the second pick that he can figure it out. Um, and cause his arm talent's really good. Like I said, he's shown the ability that he can extend plays. He just hasn't thrown the ball to his receivers. Well, um, and, and based on the talent, there's no reason to believe he can't. And we'll see what happens there. Um, the trade deadline was Tuesday and a couple of guys who wanted to be on the move stayed put. Kareem Hunt stays in Cleveland. Brandon Cooks was almost dealt to the Dallas Cowboys, but he stays in Houston and has now been, you know, today was the first day after the deadline. He didn't go back to Houston Texans practice. So have to figure he doesn't play tomorrow against the Eagles. And who knows, maybe he'll sit out the rest of the year. Um, Elijah Moore, they didn't trade him. Um, Interesting, you know, another game where he had one target and no catches. They asked him a bunch of questions after the game. um, And he basically said, like, I don't know what my chemistry is with with Zach Wilson. So we're going to kind of see how that stuff plays out. I think based on what some of these other wide receivers went for, Joe Douglas would have been smart to try to move Eli Moore now. And maybe he did. Maybe the price went down based on Elijah Moore making a lot of news uh, with his trade request. Um, And Cam Akers, another one, Uh, a backup running. Well, he believed he should have been the starter for Los Angeles. He was the backup for Los Angeles and he is still on that roster. So um, the guys who did move Bradley Chubb and Jeff Wilson, pass rusher and running back to Miami. Um, I don't know if I mentioned the Christian McCaffrey stuff on the last episode, but he killed it in his second game with the 49ers against the Rams this week. Uh, He threw a touchdown, he received a touchdown, and he ran one in as well. Um, A 40-point game in ESPN's Fantasy League. So that's going to be a tough team to beat down the stretch in the NFC. Like They already had such a great defense. They were, you know, a couple plays away from getting to the Super Bowl last year. And then you add one of the most talented players in the league when healthy onto that roster. Um, it's going to be tough to line up against Debo Samuel, C-Mac, Kittle, uh, Brandon Ayuk. Um, Jawan Jennings is, is a good receiver out there on the outside. And then you have... Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, who can run the ball, catch the ball, block well. It's going to be a tough team to bring down um, in January and maybe February as well. So um, another couple of moves. Roquan Smith to the Ravens. I think that'll be a really good uh, move for the Ravens, especially – given the fact that they can try to sign him after the season's over. Um, you know, kind of, I don't want to say a trial for Roquan because he's been so good for Chicago, but, you know, right now the Ravens' problem is that the defense can't hold on to the leads that the offense has provided. And usually adding the guy who has the number one tackles in the league should, should theoretically help your defense. We'll see if it does. Robert Quinn to the Eagles, an already boisterous pass rush, gets another 
absolute weapon. Um, he's been good for Chicago. He was good, you know, in his earlier years with a couple of other teams as well. And I expect the veteran to fit into an already great room of pass rushers um, and, and give those guys, you know, a good percentage of snaps played down the stretch so that they're healthy for the playoffs. Um, TJ Hawkinson goes in division to the Vikings. I thought that was an interesting move. I think the Lions need a lot of help and the players that had value deserve to be traded at this deadline. I think DeAndre Swift and uh, Aquaminius St. Brown maybe also would have been good guys to think about moving. Maybe they'll get moved next year if they still stink. Um, but to go in the division is crazy. I I don't know if I agree with that from, from Detroit. And for the Vikings, they're quietly at 6-1. and one. They just added a tight end to an already talented offense with Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, uh, K.J. Osborne, and Adam Thielen. So, you know, it's a, it's a good offense. It gets better with a tight end that can block and catch the way that T.J. Hawkinson can. Um, and they're under the radar right now because a lot of the NFC story has been the NFC East pretty much because it's been Cowboys, Eagles, Giants. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about the teams out West with 49ers and the Seahawks and Minnesota's six and one record has not been talked about much and they add another piece. So uh, last but not least, Chase Claypool goes to the Chicago bears. Interesting move. Claypool probably not getting as much uh, targets and opportunities with Pittsburgh as he should have. No, he doesn't have much great quarterback play over there with Kenny Pickett as a starter. Um, and the fact that there are other options on the team that probably get more than him. And, you know, George Pickens and Deontay Johnson. So Claypool fits the need that the Bears had in a wide receiver. He gets seemingly going to be more opportunities to catch the ball. Um, we'll see. I he hasn't really looked great in the opportunities that he gets. Uh, and then, you know, and then he stopped getting them. So we'll see if that's a good move. It, you know, the Steelers have always drafted good wide receivers. And I think that's part of the Bears reasoning for signing or for trading for this kid, thinking that he is talented, but not being utilized anymore. And we'll see if that helps out Justin Fields play down the stretch. Um, we'll stay with football, but we will go over to the college side before I give the picks. Um, the rankings came out last night. They read as follows in the top 10. Tennessee 1, Ohio State 2, Georgia 3, Clemson 4, Michigan 5. Those first five teams all undefeated right now. Alabama is 6 with one loss, TCU is seven. They are undefeated. Oregon is eight. They have one loss, and it is to Georgia on the first game of the season. Uh, USC is nine. They have one loss. And LSU is 10 with two losses. So uh, you're always going to find problems with the rankings because 
I think it's just an uh, it's always going to be a flawed system no matter what you do. But the fact that there's this many flaws every year is just getting to be a little bit annoying unless you're like me and you're expecting such. Uh, and then you just kind of like, I understand the reasons why, you know, I, you can look at each ranking past number one and say, well, this team, you could move around. Tennessee is absolutely unequivocally number one. They have the best win of the season when they beat Alabama at home in that game. Uh, they also have played, um, and they've played a good schedule and dominated it in the SEC for the most part. Um, and so I think based on the way they've looked these last few weeks, number one team, number one offense, no doubt. Ohio State is two. And I, I think that if Michigan was ranked ahead of Ohio State to begin the year, like you probably would have had Michigan as the number one Big, Big Ten team. But because you didn't, and you, you know, part of that is on, I don't think the name of Ohio State, but like I think the fact that CJ Stroud is, was projected to be a Heisman candidate and is probably still going to be a Heisman candidate. I think that's how they ended up in front of Michigan to start the season. And they didn't have to replace as much as Michigan did from their defense. Um, but Michigan has overall played better than Ohio State this season. And they end up five. Ohio State ends up two. Now, that problem should take care of itself as the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Uh, excuse me, Clemson. Ohio State will play Michigan. I think that game this year is at Ohio State. So that's problem should take care of itself. Um, Georgia's three. I think they deserve to be two um, over whether it was Ohio State or Michigan. Um, you know, they've had the number one defense this year. They have also, for the most part, dominated their schedule outside of uh, you know, a two-week span in September, but the last three games they've really uh, throttled their opponents. So, you know, a great matchup brewing on Saturday in Georgia between Tennessee and Georgia, which will kind of shape this ranking much differently next week because the loser will have to drop out of the top four, I think, for now, based on the fact that the other teams win their games. Um, but if Tennessee loses to Georgia, I don't think they deserve to go under Alabama. So that would kind of slot them right in at five. Um, and then Georgia, I think, you know, they aren't going to put them below TCU. So they would go to six. So it wouldn't be an, a bit of a different looking ranking this weekend especially if another one of those teams loses. So um, Clemson was four. I don't think they deserve to be in front of Michigan, Alabama, TCU, or Oregon, to be completely honest with you. The next four teams that are ranked behind them. Um, Clemson has not dominated much of anyone. Uh, I think the ACC out of the five power five conferences is the worst in terms of football, 
Um, and, you know, they're going to play now. Uh, they're going to play Notre Dame this week. And I think the teams they have left, I'm going to check because I actually don't know. But you have to figure that as long as Clemson wins this week, that they end up getting to that ACC championship game undefeated. And then, you know, what happens from there? I don't know, but clearly they are showing the fact that they would like Clemson in if they can win out their games, which would be five more, four more in the regular season and then the conference championship game um, against who knows. But their season finishes up with these four opponents. If you don't go 4-0 here, you're just not good, and I don't think they're good either way. But uh, Notre Dame will by far be the hardest opponent and then you end with three home games, Louisville, Miami, and South Carolina. So I don't know how you look at Clemson and say that they have a better, you know, anything than TCU. Um, you know, Georgia Tech was their first. You know, they beat Georgia Tech. Furman, Louisiana Tech are their two out-of-conference games. Uh, like, you beat NC State and Wake Forest, but not by much. You beat Florida State, but not by much. You beat Syracuse, but that was a close game, too. Like, I don't know how you look at their resume and say that it's better than Michigan's or TCU's. And even though Bama has lost and Oregon has lost, I don't know how you look at theirs and say that in the games that they've won, they haven't dominated more than Clemson. I think that's like the most important part. You're always going to have a game where you don't play your best. And if you do lose, you lose. Like Alabama, their loss is to Tennessee, who's the number one team. Otherwise, yeah, have they not looked great in some of those games? Sure. But TCU has dominated the entire way for the most part, and they're behind Alabama. So there's a lot of problems, I think. Like I said, there's always going to be flaws. You're always going to be saying, well, this team deserves it more than that team. I think it's pretty clear based on the fact that you frequently see these teams with chances to, you know, let's just say that Penn State has uh, one loss right now. Like they're in the top 10 because maybe they aren't the best team. And maybe you know they're going to, you know, they have rough games going forward, but people know that's a big-time school. Like, at these schools, for the most part, the football team is as big as anyone on campus, and in some places, it's bigger than a professional sports team. So it makes sense as to why some of these teams are higher than others because, like, if you put TCU in the Texas uniform, yeah, maybe they're four because the committee knows, like, all right, te Texas, if they were to make it, is going to have a big following. We don't care if they're going to get smoked. I don't think any, I don't think the committee has ever cared about what four teams make it in terms of the quality of the game. Like, they put Notre Dame in there a few times when they weren't a top four team because they knew the Notre Dame fans were going to watch it and it's sad that that 
is what incentivizes the committee to an extent, but it does. It's clear because TCU would be ahead of these teams if they were in the Texas uniform. I believe that, or the Oklahoma uniform. Um, but because they aren't, you put Clemson ahead of people because they're a team that has made it and that probably has a lot of people that watch the games for that team. So I think it will take care of itself because either Clemson gets upset this week versus Notre Dame or hopefully they lose the championship game to whoever they play. Hopefully it's North Carolina, but um, I hope that it takes care of itself in that one way. Cause I just don't think Clemson deserves to be there over any team behind them up to nine. Um, TCU probably deserves to be in there at four or five and Michigan could be four or five as well. And then from there, I would have had, you know, Bama, then Clemson, then Oregon or Bama, Oregon, then Clemson, something like that, um, for the top eight, but that's just me. And clearly I'm not on the committee. So, uh, Big game this weekend, and that will kind of roll me into the picks, which went three and one this week for a 12 and eight overall record in college football. So pretty good at 60%. Um, and that is at 3:30 on CBS, Tennessee and Georgia, one versus three. Um, and one team is seven and one against the spread, folks, this season, and that's Tennessee. Um, and I'm gonna roll the dice once again. Uh I think that of all the groups on the field the best group is Tennessee's offense and therefore you got to roll with that and then given the fact that they are the seven and one against the spread it makes you feel a little bit better um I know that the Georgia defense is really good I know that they have NFL talent all over the field but in college football I think great offense can cr- can trump great defense where maybe in the NFL it's the other way around. Um, they know that they're going to have to stop Jalen Hyatt, who's fourth in college football in receiving yards and first in receiving touchdowns, as well as Hendon Hooker, who should get invited to New York for the Heisman this year. But we'll see if they do that. Um, it's an eight-point spread, folks. Like, I think you got to be in front of your TV 3.30 at Saturday, you know, to watch this game. It's going to be one of those all-time classic college football games. Tennessee hasn't been good since 1998. Georgia is the defending champion. Um, one versus three, undefeated matchup late in the season with a lot on the line for both teams. And one team is favored by more than a touchdown. And therefore, I want the other team. I think it just, there's no way that you can convince me this game is not within one score. And like I said, if I get the better offense in the game, plus the points, I always like that. And I'm going for it. So Tennessee plus eight, that game's at 3.30 on CBS. Um, Odds and numbers are courtesy of FanDuel Sports. If you do have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER or 1-800-HOPE-NY if you're in New York. Um, 
to get help. Memphis plus three and a half. This game is also 330. This one's on ESPN2. Um, they are hosting UCF. UCF just had a big win at home uh, against Cincinnati, and now they're ranked 25th. Um, the last five times these teams have played, the home team has covered the spread every time. And when the last two games were at Memphis, uh, it was a one-point game each time. Memphis won one. They lost the other. Um, and so if you're giving me a field goal and those are, you know, and that's the history of the series, that's what I want. Um, UCF is also only playing their third away game this season. They are one and one on the road. And the one win is against Florida Atlantic, a team in Conference USA. So a little bit different than a conference opponent in Memphis, um, where it's a, a it's going to be a, a rowdy crowd, I would think. Memphis is four and four, trying to get into the bowl season once again. They usually, you know, kind of skid in there at six and six, and then play one of those first, you know, Bahama Bowl or whatever, whatever one of the the lower early on bowls is. So, um, always fun to watch them play. They usually have an electric offense, and I expect nothing less here against UCF. Um, so. My first two picks, Tennessee plus eight, Memphis plus three and a half. Those games are at 3.30 on Saturday, one of them on CBS, one of them on ESPN2. And I will now move to another top 10 matchup in the SEC, although maybe it shouldn't be. I think LSU is probably overranked by a couple of spots, but Alabama is favored by 13 points on the road against LSU. And, you know, conventional wisdom would tell you, well, LSU's the 10th ranked team and they're plus 13 against a team that, you know, in terms of their program success, hasn't looked as good as usual in Alabama. Oh, I'm just going to hammer LSU. Well, I beg to differ. Both teams are coming off the bye. And I think that gives a massive advantage to Nick Saban and Alabama because you know that his team will be very, very prepared for the offense of LSU. And I think that LSU's offense, especially the quarterback, Jaden Daniels, just isn't that great. And um, I think Alabama, they had a couple of tough weeks there where Bryce Young was hurt. Um, he's back now. And I think that this is a game where LSU gets exposed as, like I said, a little bit overranked. Um, Nick Saban versus Brian Kelly is a great matchup in terms of all-time coaches. Uh, Nick Saban has defeated Brian Kelly both times, one of them in the national championship. I think that was like in 2014. One of them recently in the college football playoff. Uh, that was a 31-14 victory for... I believe the quarterback of that town, um, it wasn't Tua. Tua was already drafted. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a 2-0 uh, record for, for Nick Saban against Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly, when asked why he came to LSU, said, I want to beat Nick Saban, and I want to do it with 
the best players and program and atmosphere I can do it with. And I believe that's LSU. And so I think that is something that Nick Saban can use to his advantage this week when preparing for LSU. I know that to pick a team that's favored by 13 on the road is just kind of ridiculous, but based on what I saw on action network, the last five times in this matchup, the away team has covered every time. And I also like that fact. So I'm going to go with Alabama minus 13. I will say more of it has to do with the fact that I don't think LSU is as good as their record and their ranking says they are. And I think Nick Saban can expose that better than anyone in the coaching game can. So um, last but not least, 11.30 a.m., CBS, it's Air Force and Army under 40. The service academy unders are 42, 9, and 1 since 2005, according to the score. Um, It's at least on a five-game winning streak, according to Action Network. Last year, I think... um, I think the last two years it was 10 nothing and 21 seven. So it's went under by a significant amount. Um, this season, Air Force played Navy, and I think that game was like 13 seven. So these unders are going under and they're going under by a lot. I think a lot of people will, you know, if they get a lot of public money, might go over because Army per game is scoring 32 points. Um, and then you would just need one touchdown and one field goal from air force but under is about as safe as they get 42 9 and 1 in 52 matchups is one of the best percentages you will ever get in terms of a trend so under 40 is the last pick like i said 12 and 8 overall odds fan duel sportsbook call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you have a problem, we'll go to Sunday and the NFL slate. I like these three. I'm really bad at the NFL this year. Almost, I'm about as bad at the NFL, as good as I am at college football, which is, you know, could honestly be beneficial for me in the future if I can, you know, uh, market myself as the college football guru, but the NFL uh, fade man. Um, so here goes nothing. One and two last week, five, 13 and one on the season, which is 26%. I know it's not good, but I feel pretty good about these Falcons plus three versus the chargers. The chargers are coming off the bye, I know, but this is the most efficient running team in the league against the 27th best rushing defense. And they're getting Cordell Patterson back. They're starting running back from injury. Um, and I think that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, I know that the Falcons defense isn't great, but still outside of that one game against the Bengals, they have been in a one score game every time this season they are home. Um, and you know, the chargers have the problem of not a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball outside of their quarterback, Herbert and their running back Eckler, who. I know fantasy wise is the number one running back, but probably, you know, the 10th or 11th best running back in terms of actual talent. Like he does get a lot of volume, but um, 
you know, Keenan Allen being hurt all the time doesn't help. And I think the Chargers will lose this game and the Falcons keep the lead in the NFC South. Um, Speaking of another NFC team that can stay atop of their division, I want Seattle Moneyline in Arizona this week. Um, Seattle won the first matchup this season, and it was a couple of weeks ago. But I think the line is like, and by the way, Seattle is a two-point dog in Arizona, but I want, I guess it's going to be about plus 120. I'm not exactly looking at my FanDuel lines right now, but um, I think the line is like this because DeAndre Hopkins is back, I guess. Otherwise, maybe if he wasn't, it would be just, you know, straight. Um, I think these Seattle corners are ready for the challenge, though, of of taking him out of the game. I know in his two weeks back, he has like uh, 12 catches per game or something like that and almost 130 yards per game. But, um, you know, if you just have to focus on one thing, and taking it away in the NFL, usually if your team is good, you can do that. And I think Seattle's good enough to take him out of the game enough that they can win and keep their lead in the NFC West. Um, in addition to the fact that Seattle's offense has just been playing pretty good. I know they only scored 19 against Arizona, but their defense kept Arizona to nine. Do I think DeAndre Hopkins is worth 11 points? I do not. So. Seattle money line versus Arizona. Last pick is over 42 and a half. Carolina and Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati coming off of a loss to Jamar, uh, excuse me, to Jamar Chase. Coming off of a loss to the Browns without Jamar Chase. Um, and clearly his effect on the Cincinnati offense is one that is bigger than maybe you see in, you know, you have to watch the film and the way that these teams line up and all that stuff to really understand it. Um, But that being said, I think it gets better for them against Carolina. Like they haven't been a good defense all year. PJ Walker has looked better in the last two weeks and had actually a great game against Atlanta and should have won the game on a big hail Mary to DJ Moore at the end of the game. But, Kicker couldn't make the kick, and in overtime, the Falcons kicker, Youngway Koo, did, and they lost. Um, but they've looked better. So I think 42.5 is a gettable number. Um, you know, I think any week where a good offense goes out and is bad, the preparation gets a little better for the next week. Um, the motivation for the next week. If, you know, I don't want to say that it goes up or down from week to week, but after a loss, you're looking to get off the schneid. Um, And I think Cincinnati's offense bounces back this week. And I think Carolina's offense puts up enough that we can cover the over. And so over 42 is the last pick. Like I said, the NFL picks have been shit. The college football picks have been pretty good. So kind of. You know, take that into account when you're putting in your wagers this weekend and just don't bet something that you can't lose. Um, That's never good. Um, So I guess that'll do it for episode 18 of Go Be Great presented to you by Heart of Sports. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, I'll be back next week with, you know, the completion of the World Series. Um, 
another great NFL week brewing. Um, Jets have a big game with the Bills that I know they, you know, don't look to have much of a chance in, but we'll see. Giants are on the bye, um, so won't have much to say about them, but maybe that can present an opportunity to talk about other things going on in the league. One thing I didn't mention was the fact that Tony Pollard finally got the starting reps in Dallas as Zeke was hurt and he went off and now he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And I think that Dallas has been sitting on one of the best running backs in the league. And I don't want to say sitting because they do split the carries, but the kid goes in for, for one game and 14 carries, 130 yards, three touchdowns, and I think 50 receiving yards. So um, just an, a great player. So maybe an opportunity to, uh, to talk about more of the NFL than just the Giants and the Jets. There will be a college football recap of that Georgia and Tennessee game especially. Um, and then, you know, the name of the game, more picks will be out next week once again. And so you guys will hear from me about Tuesday or Wednesday. Like I said, thank you guys for tuning in and go be great.